This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Pascal in geometry in high school? 
my, my book cover, because you had to cover your own book. Like we had to draw some of his geometric shapes and that became our book cover. Um, I don't know why I remember that, but uh, it, it stood out to me. So Pascal, the famous mathematician, uh, also physicist and inventor and theologian, uh, said that life is a wager and that we are all betting our lives on something. We live life leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place that we long for, betting our lives that what we are heading towards is right. And then he asked the question, and this is the wager, what if we're betting on the wrong thing? Like we lean forward, we pursue something with our lives, and we're betting our lives on it, that whatever it is that we're going after, that is right. But what if we get down there, and we look back, and we realize we're betting on the wrong thing the whole time? M Molly, she's, eight, she's asking me questions like that. She's like, what if what we believe isn't actually true? I'm like, Stephanie, you want to take this one? <laughs> That's on you, babe. You know, so it's just, it's a fair question to ask. What, what matters most? What should matter most? What should our lives be leading towards? What should we pursue? Is there an answer? Is there an absolute truth that ultimately, that, that is what we should be running after? Or is it just subjective? Whatever you pick, whatever we want. What, in Matthew 22, I believe Jesus gives us an answer of what matters most. What our lives should be leaning towards. My hope today is that God will speak to us through his word, wherever you are. That, that maybe you are leaning towards this. And it's, it's just an encouragement to keep running, keep moving. Or, or maybe it's that you subtly drifted. Just a subtle drift, right? And some time passes, and, and now you're looking back and you're going, oh man, I'm, I'm really far from where I knew I should be. Just that subtle drift that takes you further and further away. Or, or perhaps today, I mean, this is the first time where you hear the answer of what you've always been looking for. Where God opens your, your eyes and you say, oh my word, I've never been chasing the right thing. My hope and my prayer is that today, God speaks to you right now. And so I just want to invite us to pray together. Um, and if you're open for this, um, I invite you to do this, just to hold your hands out in front of you like this. There's nothing magical. It's just a, a physical expression of surrender, right? Okay, I'm open to whatever comes. God, I want to hear whatever you have to say. Give it to me. And so let's just take a second and pray and ask God to speak directly to us if we can. God, speak to us. Block out the distractions that no doubt will come our way, that all we will hear is your voice. God, do not leave us the same, but transform us today from the inside out. In the name of Jesus, we ask together. Amen. All right, so Matthew 22, right? We have a, a conversation happening between a Pharisee and Jesus. So it said in verse 34 that this Pharisee had heard Jesus debating with some others about the resurrection and kind of liked what Jesus had to say, thought Jesus could hold his own. And so he brings his own questions to the table, and he, and he asks, Hey, teacher, verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? And so a Pharisee is a religious leader. This is a person that, in order to climb the ranks in the, the school of religion for a Pharisee, that they would have the first five books of the Bible memorized. I mean, they were devoted to the Old Testament law, to knowing forwards and backwards and left and right, everything that the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible said. And so this dude knew his stuff. 
Like he had the, the answers filed away somewhere. He was just trying to prioritize. You know, we only got so much time in the day. We can only do so many things, you know, and so something's got to drop at some point. So let me make sure I get what matters most up top so that I'm, I'm chasing after that, right? If, if I have to choose what I do with my time, what am I going to choose to put first? What am I going to chase after first? That's the question he is asking, and Jesus answers him. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he throws in a bonus answer. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus answers with two commandments, and he quotes the Old Testament. The first one is coming from, straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The, the second commandment is coming from Leviticus 19. And so what Jesus is telling this guy is, is then in this moment, the answer is the same that has been for the last thousands of years. Deuteronomy and Leviticus were written thousands of years before this conversation. And Jesus is saying, hey, the answer today is the same that it was then, and it's the same that it always will be. We live in a day, right, when, when many think truth changes. With each kind of generation and context and culture, truth is subjective. Uh, Jesus would disagree. He's pointing back thousands of years. He's saying there is a truth that transcends all ages, all times. It was the same then, it's the same today, and it's the same that always will be. And his answers, what matters most? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, everything that you are, in all places, in all ways, at all times, everything falls behind this, love God. And then the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So there were 613 laws in the Jewish law. 613. And, and, and a Pharisee would try to obey all of them. And Jesus is saying, hey, each of these laws either tells you how to relate to God or it tells you how to relate to one another. If you read the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are commandments vertically, how to relate to God. Commandments 5 through 10 are horizontal, how to relate to one another. And so Jesus is saying, if you love God above all else, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, the other 611 commandments will naturally happen. They'll, just, they'll fall into line. Do these two. Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And, and on these two, hang everything else. Get these two right. Do this right. Lean towards this. This matters most. Lean this way and everything else will take care of itself. Love God. Love others. Now let me take a quick second here. If you're anything like me, I look at this and I start measuring myself. I start comparing myself to this and then I compare myself to others who I think are, are doing this well. And, and if you're like me, I typically fall short. Every time I compare myself to someone or something else, I always come up lacking. And then, I'm, then I feel guilty and ashamed. I'm like, I should be doing better than this. I should know better by now. Like, I need more for myself. Uh, my family needs more, right? And so if, if you're like me, then let me just encourage you, that's not God's point here. God's point is not expecting you to perfectly love him and love others, because none of us will live up to that. His point is right here, right now, no matter what happened an hour ago, or two days ago, or a month ago, right here, right now, take a step in the right direction. That very next step, just moving towards loving God, loving others. And then an hour from now, just take that next step. Loving God, loving others. And a month from now, and a year from now, and ten years from now, and for the rest of our life, we're just taking one step in the right direction. God's not expecting perfection. He promises that he'll complete these starts. 
He's, he's going to complete it. And so we can unload ourselves from the guilt and the shame that we oftentimes strap onto our shoulders because we didn't measure up to whatever we think we need to measure up to. And just know that God just wants us to take a step towards Him. Not 10, not 20, just that next step. Moving towards God, putting back in front what matters most. Love God, love others. So what, what does this mean? The, we, have, we, we have a challenge in the English language because the English language is tough. Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. We're talking about this in our community group. Like why does a goose translate to geese in the plural, but moose does not translate to meese? Right? Like that should make sense. But our English language has all kinds of rules that don't make any kind of sense, right? And so for us also, we take the word love and we use it like a Swiss Army knife. We just use it for anything and everything, right? Like I love football and I love air conditioning and I love tacos and, and iced coffee and I love my family and I love God and I love new things and I love being comfortable. And, right? And we just like, we love everything. Like, oh, I love you so much. You know, we just throw the word around, and it means anything and everything. And so we struggle to be like, all right, Jesus, what do you mean? When you tell us to love God, do I love God like I love tacos? Because I've had a bad taco, and so I don't really like tacos a whole lot right now. You know, and so do I love God like I love my wife? Because right now it's going great, but if you asked me a couple months ago, eh, you know, no, I'm just kidding. It's right. So how do we love God? What does that word even mean? Well, the Greeks had four words to describe love, that they were onto something. One word was storge. It's this, like, affectionate appreciation for someone that you just highly respect. That you just, you admire them so much, you love them. I think, uh, any Parks and Rex fans, anybody else watching? Okay, yeah. So we're watching that show, so Leslie Note has this storge for all female leaders, right? So she's got their framed pictures everywhere. She has this admiration for them. She loves them in this respectful type of way. Then you've got Philios, the, the brotherly love. Like, oh man, I love you, dude. You're my boy, right? Like, I love that guy. Right? It's this, like, that's my friend. That's my, that's my guy. We have a city named after this. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Okay. Side note, in January, cool thing, uh, we got to cut a check and send a check to a church planner in Philadelphia, Redemption Heights, another Summit Network church plant. Um, and so just know, like, just... Celebrate that when you give financially to this church, a tenth of everything that comes in immediately goes back out. And so we have a church planner in Philly that we've been able to financially help get started. And they're starting their church this year as well. And so Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Then you've got Eros. That's your romantic love, your passionate love, your erotic love, right? And, and so you, you have your spouse, perhaps, or your, your significant other that you Eros. You know, I, I'm like, I'm like Philios Mike, but, but I, I don't Eros Mike, right? Like, that's a completely different love, okay? And so, they're using these two words, and then they have a fourth word, agape. And that's the word that Jesus uses. More often than not, the New Testament word for love is agape. And at its core, the word agape means a complete and selfless devotion to the good of another. A complete and selfless devotion to the good of another. Agape love is not so much a love based on feeling or emotion. It's a love based on will and action. I choose to love this person. I choose you before me. That's agape love. I choose you before me. Whether I feel it or not, I am choosing 
to love you, to selflessly and completely devote myself to your good. So you show me an amazing marriage, I guarantee you, you will find agape love in there. You'll find a selfless devotion to one another, because marriage is tough. And sometimes you just don't like the person you're married, you're married to. And you have to choose to love them regardless of what happens. Tim Keller wrote a book on marriage, and he talks about the problem with marriages today is that we have this um, unrealistic idealism of the right person. And the right person, we're just going to feel all warm and fuzzy about and always like them and be happy with. And so we marry the right person, and then, and then life happens, and six months or a year later, we're, we're sitting next to the person we married, and we're thinking, you're not the right person that I married a year ago. This isn't working. I'm out. Because, because we're supposed to have that, that great feeling and happiness with each other. And marriage is built on agape. Because the right person that you marry today is not the same person a year later, or two years later, or five years later. People change. And so agape love says, that's okay, I'm going to love you through all the changes. Ten years down the road, when we're different people, I'm still going to choose to love you. I'm going to commit to you. That's what a, a marriage that lasts is built on. So you find a good marriage, you find agape love. Man, you know who experienced agape love? AJ and Grace. Remember AJ and Grace? Armageddon? Huh? Ben? Ben and Liv? Right? Right, they loved each other so much, but, but there, was a, there was a tragedy point that happened. There was this asteroid just barreling towards Earth, and the only people who could solve it, the only people who could fix it, is this rough and tough, like, oil drilling company crew. And so they fly up and they land this spaceship on the asteroid, and they're going to drill a hole into the center of it and detonate it with this bomb, right? So AJ is part of that crew. So is Grace's dad, Harry, right? And so they're, they're drilling this whole problem. The detonator, man, it's not going to work from remote distance. Somebody's got to stay on the asteroid and blow this sucker up to save the whole world. So they draw straws. Ben draws a short straw. He's got to stay back and blow that asteroid up, leaving Grace behind. But what happens? Man, don't act like it didn't get you. Don't act like you can tear up, right? He's walking down, he turns to Harry Grace, and he says, Harry, just, just tell Grace I'll always be with him. And Harry leans in for the hug, pulls his air cord, shoves him back in there, sends him back up to the ship, and he says, I love you, AJ. I agape you, AJ. I am willing to devote myself to your good and to Grace's good, so I will lay myself down so that you can go on for your good. That's agape love. Man, no doubt their life. My life has changed from that, right? Like that is the love that Jesus is saying, a selfless devotion to the good of another. I choose you before me. I'll stay on this asteroid and blow it up. You go on. That's agape love. And this is the love that Jesus is calling us to. Is that how you love God? That you choose him before yourself? Is that how you're loving your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, the, the, the person across the street, the co-worker, that you're choosing them before yourself? They're good before your own. This is what matters most. This is what Jesus calls us to. So how do we, what does it look like to see someone that's loving God? Jesus gives us three descriptors, three ways that we love God. He says, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart 
The first thing he says is, is agape God with all of your heart. Now, a lot of times we hear heart and we immediately think like the emotional and the affectionate, right? We've got this, you know, even almost romantic thing. And, and that's not what he's talking about. Yes, there's emotions and there's feelings that come with agape love. But agape love is not built on the feelings. It's built on a choosing, a will. I'm choosing to love you. My pastor back at our old church used to say, what you love is what you'll do with your life. Everything else is just talk. And so I believe what Jesus is saying here, to love God with all your heart, is to love God by the choices we make. It's choosing Him and His ways before me and my ways. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, if you agape me, if you choose me before you, he says, you will keep my commandments. So we love God with all of our heart when we choose him in our actions before we choose ourselves in our actions. We understand this with a human relationship, right? I mean, no one, you can't tell someone you love them and treat them poorly. You can't know what they like or dislike and do the opposite, right? And be like, oh yeah, I love you. You know, like that doesn't, that doesn't match up. If I, if I love you, then I'm going to treat you well. I'm going to care for you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do things that would dishonor you or, or uh, misrepresent your name. And so we love God with all of our heart when we make choices for him before ourselves. Is there anything that God asks you to do that you're not doing? And he says, hey, this is what you should do. We love him by choosing to do those things. Is there anything that God is saying, hey, don't do this? Then we love him by choosing not to do that. If we love God, an evidence of that agape love is that we will keep his commandments. We will choose him. We will prefer his ways over ours. So that's one way. Then he says, love the Lord of God with all your, your soul. Loving, so we love God with our heart by choosing to do the right things, and we love God with our soul by doing them with the right motivations. I can do the right thing all day long and have the wrong motivations, and I'm not loving God with my soul at that time. To love God with my soul is, to, is from the depths of who I am, to not only do the right things, but to want to do the right things, to desire to do the right things. The word for soul is the same word for breath. And so he's saying, down to the very core of who you are, the, fi the, very, the, the, the smallest fiber of you, the very breath in your lungs, it's yours. And so I, I praise you with the breath in my lungs. Everything, I hold nothing back, and, and I want to do your will, because I love you with my soul, with everything that is within me, I love you. So we love him with our heart by doing the right thing, we love him with our soul by doing the right thing with the right motives. And then we love him with our minds. By seeking to know him, by setting our minds on him, by studying about him, by spending time learning who he is. Because the more that we know who God is, the more we can love him with our heart and our soul. The more that I know who Stephanie is, the more that I know how to love her. I know what she likes and don't, doesn't like. But if I don't know her, then I can't love her that way. And so the more that we know who God is, the more that we love him with our mind, the more that we are able to, to love him with our heart and our soul because we know his character. We know what he prefers and doesn't prefer. And not only that, we know how good he is. The goodness of God is an infinite wealth. We will never hit the max of knowing how great our God is. And so the more that we know him, 
the more that we will naturally love him. And so we love him with our heart, our choices. We love him with our soul, our motivations. We love him with our mind, what we know about him, so that we can love him. Everything in us is how we love God. All of me, at all times, in all ways, at all places, I love God. I put him first. I choose him before myself. Today, on Sundays, right here, right now, I choose God. And then when I walk out of here and I go home or I go to a restaurant, I choose God. On Mondays at work, I choose God in all things, in the way I talk, in the way I think, in the way I treat people. And then Friday night when I'm out with my friends, I choose God first in the way I act, in the way I treat people, in what I look at. When I'm around a room of people or when I'm by myself, I love God first. I choose Him before all else. I love Him by obeying Him and by desiring Him and by studying and meditating on Him at all times, in all places, in all ways. We love God first. He gets everything. That's what Jesus says matters most. More than anything else, that's the wager to better your life on, loving God. To lean in to that. But then Jesus goes on, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, then love your neighbor. And order matters. Order matters, you can't flip those. The moment we love our neighbor before we love God, that's what the Bible calls idolatry putting someone or something else before him. The best way we can love our neighbors, the best way we can love our friends and our roommates and our coworkers and, and our boyfriends and girlfriends and kids and spouses is to love God first. The order matters. Love God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So why would Jesus tell us this? Couldn't you just stop to number one? I couldn't even just say, hey, love God. I'm out. That's it. Why did he also say, hey, and love your neighbor as yourself? Now, I think the reason is because we cannot love God if we are not loving our neighbor. It is impossible to love God if we don't also love our neighbor. From the very beginning, God has created not just one person, but a people to live in community, to love one another in the way that God loves us. And when we love one another, that is also when we are loving God. I can't love UT and, and hate students, right? The two go together. You can't separate them. And, and so I, I love God by loving neighbor. And when I love my neighbor, I'm loving God. You can't, we can't love God when we don't love our neighbor. And so there's two questions that I immediately ask is how do I love them and who do I love? How I love my neighbor. When he says, as you love yourself. In, in every way that you desire for yourself, in every way that you care for yourself, in every way that you love yourself, love your neighbor the same way and before yourself. And there's so many commands in the Old Testament and New Testament. Feed your neighbor, care for justice and what is right, speak truth, build up, honor, bless, rejoice with, weep with, pursue unity, serve. There's so many ways that God says to love our neighbor. And the easiest way to summarize it, any way that you would want to be loved, turn around and love others the same way. That, that, that golden rule that we get from Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, man, still, still carries truth. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbors in the same way that you would want to be loved. You want someone to pick you up when you're down? Pick others up when they're down. You want someone to come in and physically take care of some needs when you can't? Come in and physically take care of some needs for others when they can't. 
You want someone to eat with you and to talk with you and to ask you questions about your life, to know you? Go eat with and talk with and ask other people about their life to know them. You, you want to feel like you belong? Welcome in the outsider to belong. Right? The same way that we would want to be loved, we love others. Well, so who do we love? Some people, that's really easy. I mean, I can love some people that way, no problem. Then there's some other people, right? Uh, they're a little more difficult to love. You know, we, 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 all, we all have people like that. Everybody knows somebody like that. Like, I, maybe like one day a week. You know? And so we just, you know, then there's other people that like, no. That's appalling to think about loving that person. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 10. Someone asks him, Who, who's my neighbor? Who do I love? And he tells the story of this Jewish man who's beaten by robbers and left on the side of the road. And, and, and the, the neighbor is the one who comes in and serves him and takes care of him and lifts him up. And what's surprising about the story is who the neighbor is. The neighbor was the Samaritan, the, the enemy of the Jew. So to maybe, maybe a 2018 example, imagine that there's a white supremacy rally happening, right? And in Austin, and there's these, these, these young fascists who are, who are celebrating um, you know, racism and arrogance and separation and superiority. And then the rally ends, and one of these young white fascists is walking to his car. He gets, gets mugged and beaten and left on the side of the road for, for dead, right? Well, it's, it's close to the rally, so there's probably other people walking around. And sure enough, one of his, his white supremacy friends comes walking by, and you would think like he would go help his brother, but instead of getting his hands dirty and leaning into that mess, he just kind of hurries on by. You know, like, that's, dude, that is cold. That's not even... Well, then a second guy comes up, and one of the leaders of their, their white supremacist group, and you think, of this guy for sure, right? But no, he crosses the road and kind of does that number, right? He's, he's trying to get away from this guy because it's a mess, and that's going to cost money and time and energy. And then a third guy walks up, and it's a young African-American guy, somebody who was, who was protesting this group. The one who you would think, like, okay, yeah, go on by. Like, you get a pass. You don't have to love that dude who's actively trying to hate you. But that's the one who moves near, who picks him up, who, who cleans up his wounds, who takes him to the hospital, who pays his hospital bill, and, and also orders for food to be delivered during his recovery. And you say, okay, well, which one was the neighbor? Well, the one who, who moved near and chose to prefer the other himself. And Jesus tells this story, not as a political statement, but just to say, the person who is furthest from you, that you would absolutely never think that you can move in and love, that's your neighbor. That's the one you love, and everybody in between. Everybody is our neighbor. I love this quote. It says, we cannot say we love God if we don't also love what he created. And this applies to everybody. People of different races, cultures, countries, economic statuses, identities, faith backgrounds, everybody. Since everyone is made in the image of God, everyone is worth, it has worth and dignity. And we love God by loving his people, all people. And so, who's my neighbor? Every single one of you, every single person in Austin, Every single person who is made in the image of God, which means every single person on this planet, God tells me to love them as my neighbor, to prefer them and choose them over myself, to seek their good no matter what comes. That's how we are called to love. And that's a tall order. 
Let's just be honest, that's tough. I'm far too selfish to do this right. I think about myself more often than not. I'm more concerned with what happens to me or, or my appearance or my approval than I am of God's. How do, how do we do this? Why do we do this? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to give everything we have to follow after this God? Is it worth leaning into Him and betting our lives on Him? Let's just be honest and say we probably all asked it. They walk in this room right now with that same question. Why should I do this? How do I live up to this? Here's my favorite part. 1 John 4, 19. says, we love, we agape, because he first loved us. Because he first agape us. The, the motivation to love, the ability to love, God doesn't expect us to muster it up on our own. He doesn't expect us to initiate it and to pursue Him. The amazing thing about this God is that while we were still sinners, He pursued us. He initiated this love. He, he loved us first. Our love to Him is a responsive action to the love that He first gave us. I saw this picture on, on Twitter the other day. I think it's an incredible picture. Hopefully it comes up clear. So, Holocaust survivor to American and freedom. I love you. I love you so much. That's a responsive love. That when we know how much we were set free from, when we know the love that Christ has for us, when we know the, the mountain of debt of sin that we have against God, that we walked away from Him, we rejected Him, we said we're going to do our own thing, we don't need you, God, and yet still He pursued us and loved us. He gave everything to set us free. Jesus came to live the perfect life. I was nowhere near living. He died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, and He rose from the dead so that He can offer me the great exchange. He'll take my sin and give me His right standing with God. He'll set me free before God. That, that should not happen. And yet that's what God does. And He initiates that love. That's why I can love Him in return. That's the only way I can love Him in return is when I receive this love that Jesus first gave to me. We love because He first loved us. That's the only way it happens. And so we... We remember and we think and we sit on that love. We, we meditate in it and we let it change us from the inside out. Have you received, do you know that love? It changes a person. It changes you. It never leaves you. So that, so that a month from now when it's hard again, because it's going to be, there's just seasons where you just don't want to, Right? We go back to this love and we remember, gosh, he loved me first. He, he chose to prefer me over himself, the God of this world. He chose me. And that's what changes us to love. That's how we love God. That's how we love one another. Because he loved us first. I'm going to finish in 1 Corinthians 13. So, I mean, the, the famous love chapter verses. 
And, and I heard someone tell me this once, verses 4 to 7, when we read about what love is, to take the word love out and put my name in it. And so as we're reading, it's just, you know, love is patient. Am I patient? Am I kind? And so as we read this, I encourage you to, when you see the word love, take that, that word out and just, in your mind, insert your own name. how we're doing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. The reality is, I'm sure there's some words where you cringe a little bit. And that's always going to be the case. We're always a work in progress. But there is one who lived that perfectly. And who demonstrated that towards you and me. And so as we finish, I just want to invite you, would you, would you close your eyes and hear these words of read over you? True love, Jesus. And how he loves you and me. Jesus is patient. He's kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. We love because he first loved us. As we respond to God's word, I want to invite you to respond however God's speaking to you. Maybe it's just to sit and to think and to talk to God and to, to contemplate what Jesus is saying. Maybe it's to sing along. Uh, maybe it's to you just want to pray with someone. So we'll have some, some folks standing kind of off to the side here with a lanyard. If you're just like, I don't know what my next step is or what God may be saying, but I just want to talk to someone. We'll have some folks that we would love to pray with you. Maybe today is the first time where you've heard this or you maybe you've never heard it. You want to trust Jesus. You want to receive his love and ask for him to set you free. That can happen right here right now. Nothing holding us back. Just invite you to to give your life to Jesus. Any one of these folks can share that with you as well. However, however you feel like God is moving you to respond, let's be a people who, because of the love that God first showed us, we respond in love. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.